0: So, um, earlier this week, <clears throat> my friend back there, Shirley Mallory, Shirley, raise your hand. Everybody. everybody, everybody who doesn't know you can know you. Y'all can, y'all can get a visual of the reason that past lives are short-spanned. <laughs> um, but Shirley emailed me a, a meme this week, or she, she, she texted me a meme this week. Y'all don't know what a meme is. A meme is kind of a, it's, it's basically a picture with a quippy little saying on it, and uh, the picture was a, was a picture of the Andy Griffith Show, and Andy and Barney, I, I think Aunt Bee was in the picture too, <laughs> they were all sitting in a pew at a church, and they, Bar, Barney was passed out pretty much, I'm pretty sure Andy's eyes were drooping, but the saying on it was, there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. Now y'all see what I got to deal with here at Bemis. <laughs> but that's okay. I'm picking on Shirley. I, we couldn't, I couldn't operate this church without Shirley. She's a, she's a true blessing. Um, but she didn't know what I was planning on talking about a little bit today. Uh, and, and that's actually going to be part of it, Shirley, believe it or not. Um, it, got, it, it got me to thinking about some stuff because I've been, I've been thinking a lot about, about, about preaching you know and and the way that the way that I talk to you guys and, and and the way that y'all respond to me respond respond to the word or whatever that God has placed on my heart and um one of the thing one of the things that that, that I that I've talked that I've been a lot of doing a lot of reading on lately is 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 kind of a what they call dialogue, basically dialoguing with the congregation a little bit more, a little bit less of, of, of preaching to you guys and standing in front of you and giving you a bunch of information. And uh, instead, you know, or at least in addition to kind of dialoguing back and forth with y'all a little bit and, and, and make you know, congregational participation, if that's what you want to call it. So y'all might want to remember we kind of did a little bit of that last week. Uh, when we were talking about some things, I kind of talked to you guys and and uh, asked you some questions and, and got some really cool some really cool responses. And that was that was kind of fun to me. I hope it was fun to y'all as well. But the other thing, surely believe it or not, was that I started talk. I started thinking about this idea of the length of the sermon, because um, I've been there, man. Y'all forget I was I was raised in a Baptist church and those dudes like to preach for forty five minutes straight. <laughs> so uh, so so yeah, that's the kind of my my background of when I when I was coming up. So. Um, And I realize that that sometimes I do have a tendency to take it it beyond a suitable length. (laughs) But but I got to thinking about that for real. And, uh, you know, how much information, how much stuff can a a congregation, you know, actually take in and retain and be able to apply to their lives, that type of thing. Um, How many people are familiar with TED Talks? Some of you. TED Talks. Okay, so some of y'all, some of y'all are. So this is something y'all can look up on the internet when you get home. Y'all can Google it, check it out. But basically, TED Talk, TED Talks have been around for about, since about 2006, I believe. And basically, what they are is they are they're short speeches uh, given given on a variety of subjects. It could, you know, they're they're very uh, they're very informative, uh, and they're very a lot of some a lot of them can be very encouraging. Um, but they're, inver- they're also, the primary reason they let these people give what they call these TED Talks is they're very innovative ideas, and they can talk about a lot of subjects. They can talk about religion, they can talk about art, they can talk about finance, business, you name it, if it's a subject you can talk about, um, they'll invite these folks in to give these speeches. Um, so you can Google that when you get home, if you want to Google TED Talks, and you'll find hundreds, if not thousands of them. But one of the other things about TED Talks is they are limited to 18 minutes Exactly. They're not allowed to go over, they can be under, they can be two minutes, they can be five minutes, but they cannot be over 18 minutes. Why do y'all think that is? There you go, absolutely. So they actually did a lot of research. There was a lot of research that was done, not not, not even by, I don't know if it was actually done by this company or not, but a lot of true research was done. And what they discovered was that 18 minutes was the maximum time, or the most ample time maximum for the person who was speaking to be able to flesh out their ideas without talking too much and for the people who were listening to be able to take in and to retain what was being told to them. So that's why they limit these talks to 18 minutes. I thought that was, I thought that was really cool. Also what I thought was really cool about that were some things that some of our Christian forebears t- actually said about the length, and y'all are going to like this, y'all are going to love y'all going to eat this up, said about the length of a sermon. Check this out. This this, this is attributed to John Wesley. We don't really know if Wesley actually said this, but somebody at some point, 1800, 1700, said this. Regarding preaching and sermons, sometimes Wesley is credited with saying that no souls are saved after 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't put it beyond John Wesley, based on what I know about him, to actually have said that. So either way, whether he actually said that or not, he did say this. He actually, he actually uh, wrote this down. Um, this is when this is what he advised his preachers to do. First of all, he said, Don't ramble from the biblical text that they were preaching on. Now get this make sure you begin and you end at the time appointed. <laughs> Continue on with actually what he actually wrote. People imagine the longer a sermon is, the more good it will do. This is a grand mistake. The Methodist rule is to conclude the service within an hour. So I got about twenty minutes. <laughs> so I'm so I'm sure that y'all can, y'all can appreciate that. Um, so I want to kind of I'm I'm going to kind of experiment. I'm, I'm experimenting with you guys. And I'm experimenting a little bit with the way that I with the way that I preach. I like the way that I preach on I think that most of you most of you compliment me from time to time. Um, but I'm wondering basically what can I do better and to better serve. Y'all, to better serve the people that I'm talking to, you know, if I preach for 30 minutes and you're only able to retain a third of what I say, what good is that going to do to you? Um, so that makes sense to me. That makes sense, you know. Um, talk to you guys a little bit, involve you a little bit in the in the in the conversation surrounding the topic and the scripture, whatever that topic and scripture may be, and uh, you're gonna love it. I'm gonna try my best to limit it to 18 minutes. Y'all can start. <laughs> y'all can. Y'all can y'all can start timing me right now. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but what we're going to talk about today is this idea of, of church. What is what is church? What is, what is church really? What is church supposed to be? What was it originally supposed to be? And does it look anything today like it once was or like it was actually intended to be? Um, anybody want to define that? Anybody want to give a short definition of what y'all think church is? There you go. Somebody said people, yeah. community, family, family of believers. Yeah, all of those, man, all all of those. So the original, if you don't, if you didn't know this, the uh, the New Testament was written originally in the Greek language, and the um, the word that we see in our in our our English language Bibles for the word church uh, is this word called ekklesia. Y'all say that with me. That's kind of a fun word to say. Ekklesia. See, now you can go home and tell people you speak Greek. <laughs> but the ekklesia both had, the word ekklesia had a couple on uh, it, had, it had meaning outside of the church. Um, and Basically, it just meant a gathering. Um, but for our purposes, church means a little bit more. It's a gathering, like y'all said. It's a gathering of Believers, it's a it's a gathering of family. More so than that, it's a gathering that has been called out. It is a gathering of called out people, called out by what? Called out by God for what? For the purpose of serving His kingdom. For the purpose of reflecting Jesus Christ. And all that we think, all that we say, all that we do, for the purpose of reflecting His kingdom to the community uh, that surrounds us. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about today is this, is this original idea of church. Where am I at? How much time I got left? And it comes out of Acts 2. Tony Mallory, can you hear me? Yes, sir. All right. You're going, for, you're going to appreciate this too, brother, because you sent me this scripture several weeks ago. So after we read, after we read, after we read through this scripture... Um, I want you to ask yourself, what does you know? How does this compare to what we experience today in church? Uh, Does this look anything like the church that I'm familiar with, like the environment, like the culture of of the church that we're familiar with in 2023 at Bemis United Methodist or or any any other church, um, for that matter? And it's Acts two, chapter uh, or verses 42 through 47. Acts two, 42 through 47. So just for a little bit of context, you know, Pentecost isn't too far away. We'll be celebrating Pentecost here in a few weeks. But this story occurs a little bit after the uh, the event of Pentecost. If y'all don't know what that is, uh, after Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit was poured out on this small, fledgling group of of first-century Christians. And uh, this event happened that we, that we refer to in the church as Pentecost. And during this event, basically three, the Holy Spirit was just poured out over, these, over a group of about 3,000 people who came to know Christ as Savior and, and the Christian movement, although it had already started with the original 12, really started growing. And, and that was the first real burst of the Holy Spirit and the first burst of church growth. So this, uh, they get together and they're, they're doing church together. Um, they didn't just attend church. This is a whole different culture, man. They didn't just attend church. They didn't have their own separate houses and, and come in like we do. They, they actually lived together and, uh, and they did life together, so to speak. So, this, this is kind of um, talking about what, what they experienced and how they did church during that time. 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the word of God for the people of God. Ah, uh, does that look anything like church today? <laughs> y'all, y'all don't shout that one out. Just, uh, just, uh, just, 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 just roll that one around in your minds for a little bit. Um, I love this picture. I love this picture of the church. There's, there's, a, there's a very similar passage that you'll find in the fourth chapter of Acts at the very end, and it also paints a very similar picture of what the environment was. In that, very, in that early, early, early church movement. But there's several things I want to point out to you in these scriptures. 40, in verse 42, there's actually four things um, that this early Jesus movement was engaging in together as a community. Somebody else used that word earlier, community. It's another word I love. You know, ask yourself if that's how you experience church. Thank you for going back to 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Frankly folks, I think this is a huge huge one. Uh, where there's a vast difference in the church. They they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let me break that down in, in, in 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 a more modern way. Do we devote ourselves to being taught? And I'm not talking about being taught by me. I'm talking about being taught by one another. Are we humble enough to be able to be taught by another person? Are we humble enough to be able to be corrected by another person? Those types of things. I'm going to talk about accountability a little bit more in just a minute. They devoted it, but they also devoted themselves to the fellowship and the breaking of the bread. And we do fellowship a lot together here at Beavers. absolutely, absolutely no doubt. Um, and we receive Holy Communion uh, at bare minimum, bare minimum once a month. But there are times, you know, where I'm, I'm very aware that people stay home on Communion Sunday cause, <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, And we've talked about communion before and and the importance of it and and what it represents and uh, um, the importance of it in the history of the church. Do you avoid those things? Do you see other people uh, uh, avoiding those things, fellowshipping, uh, communing together? They devoted themselves also to prayer, community-oriented prayer. Y'all know that I'm big on this one if you guys attend Bemis. Uh, I don't think we pray together enough, and I'm not just talking about our church in particular. I'm talking about the church as a whole. We've gotten away from this from this from this praying together thing, man. And I don't I don't really understand that. Now I'm I'm by, I am by nature an introvert all day long. Uh, I get really uncomfortable sometimes around around large groups of people, particularly around large groups of strangers. Uh, but praying together is an essential part of the Christian experience. It's it's an essential part. of... Of what it means to be part of that ecclesia, a part of that community, a part of that family, a part of that church. If we're not praying for each other, what are we doing, man? What are we doing if we're not if we're not laying hands on one another and, and, and praying for one another's needs and being and being um, not standoffish, being um, humble. Praying together, praying together. Y'all know that I love to quote James one twenty seven. Pray for one another, so that you might be healed. Spiritual healing, of course, I believe that also goes along with physical healing and mental healing as well. I love doing our monthly prayer meetings that we started doing several months ago. That's that, that's a great start, and I love praying together in our small groups and all that stuff. And I know that it can be intimidating. I'm very aware of that. I'm an introvert again. It can be intimidating to pray, pray with another person, but once you start doing it, you'll see how beautiful it is. You'll understand that the beauty behind actually getting in, getting outside of our comfort zones and, and getting into the life of another human being and caring for another human being that much. So there's four things just right there, right there in the, right there in, in verse 42. Check out uh, the craziness here in 44 and 45. All the <laughs> bunch of socialists. All the, all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That was a joke, of course. Y'all can laugh. It's funny. <laughs> generosity. We don't do that today. This is not part of our culture. This is not something we choose to do. But generosity. How generous are we, are, are we with our resources? And that's going to be different for everybody. It's a question that you have to ask yourselves. I can't, I can't answer that for you. But you see an enormous amount of generosity in this example of the early church where they literally sold their position, possessions, where they literally sold their own personal property for the good of their brother and their sisters so that, all, so that all, all had the basic essentials of life not just a select few, there was no status, we've talked about that before in our Bible studies, there was no such thing as status, there was no rich, there was no poor there was no black, there was no white none of the stuff that we use today to separate ourselves, this stuff did not Exist and they were there for one another with crazy, radical generosity. Lastly, 46 and 47, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. My wife tells me all the time, and she tells people all the time, that she, she wishes there was something going on in the church every day <laughs> um, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm all with that um, I can't get enough of it and, I, and again I, for the third week in a row I'll say this I pray to God that I never get enough of it that's what these folks did they were constantly with each other constantly spending time with one another literally eating in one another's presence eating together uh, worshipping together frequently with what not because they had to not because they were being forced to not because they were being guilt-tripped into it, but they did it with glad and joyful hearts. And there's one more aspect that I want to come back to when I talked about are we willing to disciple one another? And that's this idea. That's this idea of accountable accountability. You know, the church is accountable to God, of course, but we gotta recognize, we've got to remember that we're also accountable to one another. And I know that we don't like talking about that in the church for some reason. It's something that I actually have come to to appreciate, but it's a key aspect of the church that we have so greatly forgotten, that we are accountable to one another. Yes, when I become part of a church, I give up my right to individuality. I don't give up my right to my uniqueness and, and what makes me special or different or whatever, but I give up my right to individuality. I'm accountable to every single person that's in this room for my words, for my actions, for my behaviors. Are we willing not only to learn from one another, but are we willing to be accountable to one another? Because that's part of the deal. That's part of what it means to be part of a genuine, authentic Christian community and a genuine, authentic church family. Yes, you are your brother's keeper and vice versa. For some reason, we don't like that. You know, it goes against it. And I think think one reason is that it goes against our, our culture. It goes against what a lot of us have been taught. Where everything really is about the individual. It's not about everybody else, it's about me. It's about my rights. It's about what I get to do what it's about what I want. Just turn on the television. You don't, it don't take you long to figure out that's what's being pushed at us and has been pushed at us for, for hundreds of years now. Not so with the church. It ceases to be about me. It's not about me anymore. It's about God and it's about you guys. It's about other people. And it is about being accountable to one another. John Wesley said there, that the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. Christianity is a group effort. Always has been. Always has been. We don't grow like that, folks. Y'all have heard me say that time and time again. We don't grow individually. We might a little bit. It's cool. To, it's great to spend private prayer time with God and private, prayer, private time searching the scriptures. Private time in solitude, silence, those, those types of practices. But there's a limit to our growth when we're not... Subjected to other people. I can be I can I, I can be as peaceful as the Buddha <laughs> when I'm by myself. I can be the most religious person in the world when I'm by myself. Then people. <laughs> then you're exposed to people. It's a different thing. You can't live out the sermon on the mount if you're not exposing yourself, you're not being exposed to people cannot live out these things of loving your neighbor obviously if you're not being a part of that community I can't love my neighbor if I'm not part of a community if you're privileged enough if we are privileged enough to, that, to live that's what we're called to do that's what we're called to be you say well I can worship God at my house I can, I can, I can worship God alone yeah sure, sure, you can but it wasn't his intention it's not his intention. His intention is for us to be together in, in community and to love and to be accountable to him and, and, and one another. Because when we, I've gone over the 18 minutes, haven't I? Nobody's, nobody's timing it. That's great. <laughs> so here's the thing. When we came into the church, you know, we became part of this community, a community that is both response. Listen to this now. When we came into the church, we became part of this community, a community that is both responsible for us and a community that we are responsible towards. Goes both ways. Our egos are out the door. We are part of something greater than us, and it's called the body of Christ. It's called the church. If you happen to be a United Methodist today, when you were baptized or when you were confirmed or when you came to the United Methodist Church from whatever, from whatever method, whatever background, you made a number of vows before your community, before your family. Among those vows were this, to remain a faithful member of Christ's holy church, to serve as Christ's representative in the world, to be loyal to Christ through the local church, and to do all in your power to strengthen its ministries, to faith and to faithfully... In, um, to strengthen its ministries and to faithfully serve the local church through your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. It's not about me. It's a two-way street. Yes, the church is supposed to nurture me. It's supposed to care for me. It's supposed to correct me when I'm wrong. But it also goes the other way. It's about me serving you. It's about us serving each other. It's about accountability. Sometimes it's good. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. Sometimes it's just good to remember that we actually, we actually made this commitment in front of God and in front of our brothers and sisters. It's so easy to forget this stuff. I love church. I love thinking about the church as a movement. That's my, that's my, that's my new favorite word, movement. I love thinking about the church as the movement because that word implies life. That's a strong word. It implies excitement. It, it implies joy. It implies purpose. The church that we read about today, make no mistake, that was not a static and a stale organization. That was a movement all day long. And that excites me. Our Methodist forebearers were part of a movement. And we've gotten a glimpse of that here at Bemis. Don't get me wrong, we've got a glimpse of that. And y'all have experienced it. Some of y'all, a good portion of y'all have experienced that. that. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. I want to encourage you guys who have experienced it, to press on. If you have not experienced it, I encourage you to get involved. To get involved. Church is not about coming to, as much as I love preaching with you guys, it ain't about coming on Sunday mornings, and that's it. I hope you get something out of it, but that's not what we're called to be. And again, that's not a guilt trip. I'm just saying, you're not going to benefit from it. You are, maybe maybe a smidge, but you're not going to benefit from it, and you're certainly not serving not being accountable, and you're not allowed. You're not taking responsibility for your brothers and your sisters. Also, get involved. Get involved with some of this stuff you see going on. Get involved again. That's why we got so many small groups. Get involved in a small group. Get, get allow yourself to to, to 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 take that mask off. All of us wear these masks. We don't want to be vulnerable. Take that away. Allow yourself to be vulnerable your brothers and sisters appreciate the intimacy that you can have with your brothers and sisters and the trust and the transparency that you can show with each other that we're supposed to show with each other if you want to see yourself grow that's how it's going to happen through involvement through honesty through transparency through authenticity if you want to see this stuff happen at our church you got to be involved Everybody says we want Christianity to grow. Are we doing our part to see that happen? If you're not, I encourage you to be part of it. Again, not out of a sense of the guilt, but because of being a part of that movement, man, and experiencing. I promise you, once you get a taste of it, you're going to want you want to get you're going to want more. Do life together. That's what the church is. If I had to, I had to sum it up, I, I'll sum it up in three words, folks. Do life together. That's what the church is all about: worshiping, serving, loving God, loving neighbor. Doing life together, we can't mirror that 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 first that first community. And I do love this church. I love I love reading about that church in Acts. We we can't mirror that because we don't live in that area. We don't live in that geographical area. We don't live in the culture of, of Israel two thousand years ago. We live we live in twenty twenty three. It's an entirely different culture, but we can certainly use it as a model and certainly use it as our as our example, and we can certainly use it as a, as a comparison. Does the Spirit? I am not saying we've got to do all of these things. We don't. We can't. What I'm asking is, is the spirit of the church that we experience today reflective of the spirit that we see in that early Jesus movement? Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, God, for your word. God, we, we, we just kind of stand in awe as we read about that first century uh, movement of your church, God. We read about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and and and, and in the aftermath of that, God, just the the beauty, the beauty of that, of, of that beloved community, God. And we ask that you would um, open up our hearts to be able to embrace, embrace that again. We can't, we can't look exactly like that, and, 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 and we don't expect that. But, God, we ask that you would move our hearts to want to be more accountable to one another. Move our hearts to want to serve each other and the community around us more, better. Open up our hearts, give us the desire to look into ourselves in the areas where we fall short, to ask forgiveness, to reveal that to you, God, to be, to repent and to change, to make that change in our lives through your power and through your, through, through your work in our lives. Help us to remember, God, church isn't just a place we come to. It's not just something we attend. It's something that we are. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.